Good morning, Four Oaks. Pastor Paul here. It's Wednesday, February 15th. Hope everybody had a great Valentine's Day, ready to break open the Gospel of Matthew. So we're going to be in Matthew 4, 12 through 17. Let me read the passage and then sort of review where we've been and talk about where we are going for this Wednesday morning. Now, when he heard, and that's meaning Jesus, now when he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulon and Naphtali. So that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled, the land of Zebulon and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So, thinking about our concentric circles, where in the very center is the meaning of the passage, the, the central idea that Matthew is wanting to communicate, we start with the outer circle, which on Monday, of course, was the context. And, and there we're, what we're trying to discern is what's coming before this, what's coming after this. This is clearly on the heels of the baptism of Jesus, the testing of Jesus. And now we're here at the onset of the public ministry of Jesus. So in a lot of ways, this is sort of the headliner text that's going to tell us what's in the, what's in the rest of the story. Then yesterday, we talked about how to situate the Galilean ministry that Jesus is embarking on here in the grand scope of his ministry as we see across all four Gospels. So even though each Gospel was written um, to be digested, evaluated, understood, read, applied um, in and of itself, that doesn't mean they were meant to be read in isolation. So most certainly the gospel writers wrote um, with a knowledge of what the other gospel writers had written, particularly John, which is why in John, the, the predominance of the book are, are, are things that aren't in the other gospels. And so while we don't want to um, spend all of our time thinking about a harmonization of the gospels, okay, we most certainly do want to situate it. And so what we said last time is here when we go from Matthew 4:11 to to verse 12, what we're we're looking at a gap of some 6 months to probably at least a year. And that that in the terms of the 3 years of ministry of Jesus, there's the year of preparation which we find mainly between that time of his temptation and baptism um, and to his Galilean ministry, that's a span that mainly John covers. It's things like the wedding in Cana and the woman, um, the Samaritan woman by the well in Samaria and those sorts of things where Jesus is sort of out of the public eye, although he is ministering. But then now we begin this Galilean ministry, um, his second year of ministry, popularly known as the year of popularity. It's where Jesus saw his most enthusiastic support. Now, what we want to try to understand today is the significance of this Galilean ministry as it relates to um, the prophecy of the Old Testament. So let's go back to the text here. It says, and Jesus leaving Nazareth went and lived in Capernaum. Remember, we said last time that that's probably in, in 
a result of two things. Of course, Jesus was raised in Nazareth, and which is sort of a lonely hill country in the northern part of Galilee. Um, and now he comes down to the southern part of Galilee on the shores of the Sea of Galilee in Capernaum, which was a much um, a busier city. It was a port. It was uh, a fishing village. There was a lot of activity, probably 10,000 people, for which that time was a big city, lived in Capernaum. And some of this, we said, was because Jesus um, was from, he wanted to get away from his hometown. People would view him differently there. Prophet doesn't have honor in his own country. It could be a response to what we see in Luke 4, that the people of Nazareth rejected Jesus, wanted to throw him off the cliff. But there's a, there's a fundamental reason, though, that's even more obvious than those two for why Jesus went to live in Capernaum. And this is what Matthew says is that reason. Verse 14, he went to live in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that, in order that, verse 14, what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Okay, so... What Matthew is saying here is that Jesus went to Capernaum for another reason. He had to live in this region because it was a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. And what he quotes is Isaiah 9, 1 through 2. So if you've got your Bibles, flip back to Isaiah 9, 1 through 2. And we're going to understand something very unique here, okay? Um, so let's let's look at Isaiah 9, 1 through 2. Let's read it in its original context. There, but there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness on them has light shone. Now, why does Matthew quote this prophecy from Isaiah, which is some six, seven hundred years prior to this? Well, let's remember the context that Isaiah is writing in. Um, what Isaiah is referring to here in its historical content about this land of Zebulun and Naphtali being brought into contempt, he's referencing the exile of the northern kingdom. Remember Judea, I mean, I'm sorry, Galilee, Capernaum, they were located in the northern kingdom. 722, the northern kingdom was taken into exile by the Assyrians. And when, the, when they were taken into exile in 722, the Assyrians also sent people back into that region who were non-Jews to populate that area to sort of dilute the, Jew, the, the Jewish influence, all right? And so this was a region um, that even up to the present time when Jesus is ministering, that was well populated by Gentiles, not Gentiles exclusively, but it was much more cosmopolitan, much more Hellenistic, uh, much more influenced as, versus the southern kingdom, Judah, which was very Jewish in nature. And... When, so so this, is, this was the way this was originally prophesied, which meant that this was, this was a word of doom upon the Gentiles, I mean, upon, upon the Jews, right? Um, they have been scattered. They have been, now they've been polluted by these awful Gentiles who've come back into the place. And what Isaiah is prophesying, prophesying is that at some point in the future, 
the people who've walked in darkness in these regions, in these areas, um, there is going to be a light that's shown upon them. There's, there, there's hope. There's grace on the horizon. Well, let's go back to Matthew. Matthew says, in fact, with the onset of Jesus's ministry, this prophecy is now being fulfilled. The light that Isaiah prophesied is now coming to fruition. Jesus has shown has has chosen this very region, okay, which was the site of so much heartache, so much darkness, so much bleakness, to begin his public ministry, which would have been for Jews just an overflow of joy, right? This this would have been seen as as a great as a great hope. These people who had been languishing in the shadow of death. On them, a light has dawned. The Messiah has come. The kingdom has dawned. Now, look here at verse 15 back in Matthew chapter 4. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. Now, what is all that about? Well, it's a reminder that into this region that the Messiah was coming, okay, to shine the light of darkness of the hope on these Jewish people, it was not just to shine the light for the Jewish people, it was to shine the light for the Gentiles. Isn't that interesting? So remember, the original readers of this gospel were most likely Christian Jews. And Matthew is trying to make the case that Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies, the Messianic prophecies. Well, this is sort of to remind them that Jesus didn't just come for the Jews, although he did. He has come for the Gentiles as well. And this is um, reinforced by the fact that Jesus did not make his headquarters Jerusalem. And by the way, it's in Judea that Jesus faces his most fierce opposition. It is in Judea, in Jerusalem, that Jesus is crucified it's only in Galilee that there is an openness, at least initially, to his gospel ministry, to his proclamation of the kingdom. And in fact, if you look down in Matthew 4, 24, um, what we're going to find is that people were coming from everywhere to see him in um, Galilee, not just Jews, but what does it say in verse 24? So his fame spread throughout all Syria. Syria is Gentile territory, enemy, of, enemy of, of the Jewish people. There is an openness here to both Jews and to Gentiles, which again also helps us explain why Jesus chose Galilee to launch his public ministry. One last thing about this. We're also going to see, if we fast forward all the way to Matthew 28, where Jesus launches and commissions his disciples on the Great Commission, to go therefore into Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. He launches that mission from where? Galilee, right? This is where he commissions the, the Gentiles to, I mean, the, the apostles to spread their ministry. And again, it's just a reminder that Jesus is the Savior of all men, not just Jews, all kinds of people, all types of people, different ethnicities, different sociological backgrounds, socioeconomic backgrounds, racial profiles, you name it. 
And what we're getting a sense in this very Jewish gospel of Matthew is the hope of the nations. Jesus Christ has come to secure salvation for the whole world, for all kinds of people, not just those who live in Judea in, and in Jerusalem. So again, reading this passage in its context, where Isaiah 9 is already a tentilating passage that predicts the liberation of Zebulun and Naphtali, okay, but also uh, predicts the, sa the salvation of the Gentiles. And this is just sort of Matthew dropping a buoy in the water, so to speak, reminding us of the, um, the international flavor, the, the world flavor of the gospel. And we need to remember that too, because we are probably in our sentiments, in our backgrounds, in our educations, we're most like those Jews, right? We're the religious people. We're the ones who've been born and raised on God's word. But we have to remember in our pagan Gentile culture, the gospel is for everyone. The kingdom of God is at hand. And you may say, well, what, what do we mean by the kingdom of God is at hand, Pastor Paul? Well, uh, you know what I'm going to say. you got to come tomorrow and find out um, what that means. So anyway, that's going to happen Tomorrow, Thursday, we're going to look at what does it really mean? What is Jesus getting at when he says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand? All right, let's pray and then um, go about your day living on mission for the kingdom. Lord Jesus, we thank you that the gospel is for everyone. It's not just for one group. It's not just for one area. It's not just for one piece of geography. It's for everyone. So Lord, we ask now that you would Give us a heart for the people outside the church family and that you would renew our hearts in what you're doing around the globe. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. See ya.